Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Marin here from Tom's Big Spiders. So finally got that beginner species video out, and I appreciate everybody that came over, gave it a look-see, chimed in. Especially those of you that are on the podcast, I know a couple of you popped over to say that you'd heard me talk about it a million times and were sick of it. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, that I've been talking about it for a while, so you actually went over to check it out even though you don't watch the videos, and I appreciate that. And so far, the response to it has been overwhelmingly positive, which I'm so appreciative of. Again, when you do these lists, you always run the risk of offending somebody by not including something that they think should be on it. And that's one of the reasons I like shying. I, I shy away from the list because A, the majority of them are subjective at best and arbitrary at worst. Like I've seen lists where it's just like people are just throwing stuff out there. Plus, when you do a best of list, when animals are involved, especially animals where there's over 900 species available, it's kind of difficult unless you've kept them all. And you'd almost have to say you've kept multiples of them all so that you could, you know, trace behavior differences and things of that nature between different specimens. It's almost impossible for somebody to go, this is the best. It's just, it's thrown on there for clickbait type material. Like, oh, the the best showcase spiders. Again, I struggled with that one because I, I can name the ones I've kept that I would recommend to people and that I do recommend to people, but I can't say they're the best because they're not. Who knows? So there's probably a million other species, well, not a million, but hundreds of other species out there that could be just as good as the ones I name. So I always shy away from the list, even though, again, lists are popular, lists get a lot of looks, lists tend to attract people that aren't quite as into the hobby yet, which is a good way of kind of pulling in some new, you know, whether it be listeners or viewers. But I don't go to them all that much. They're fun to put together sometimes, and sometimes they're frustrating. Like I did my top, I think, uh, New World species a few years back and forgot the GBB, which is one of my favorite all-time species. So I put this whole thing together, miscounted like a doofus, missed one of my favorite all-time spiders, and then took a lot of flack from people who were like, I can't believe you left the C. cayenneopubicins off or the GBB off. And my response was, I can't believe I did either because I had the whole thing edited out, ready to go, and just screwed up. So there's an instant. You can't take that one back. I didn't figure it out until somebody that uh, watched a lot of my videos that loves GBB said, I can't believe you didn't have it on there. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. So they're fun. They attract attention. And again, one of the things I'm doing moving ahead is not shying away from doing something fun every once in a while. Again, it's fun for me, and I think it, it shows a different side of my personality. And they do attract people in that might not find my videos otherwise because, again, my main focus is education. But I try not to do too many of them. Again, I understand you know what I could do as far as titles to make things more clickbaity and attractive to people that might not be as into the hobby, but it's not my thing. However, with this video, I saw... Uh, an opportunity to do one of those fun videos that would attract some people that don't know about my channel and my work, but also kind of put a definitive version of the beginner list out there, which I was really excited about. Because again, I don't think anybody's done that where they've, you know, gone out and solicited the opinions of keepers. And I'll tell you, some of the ones that made the list did not make my list previously. And again, this was not my list, which is <laughs> from a selfish standpoint, a point. One of the nice things this time around is it's not my opinion. So when people come on and go, I can't believe you put this on here, I can go, well, actually, I didn't. Everybody else voted it, which has been great. But so far, the response has been amazing. Hopefully, it continues to pick up views and help people out. That's the big thing is just giving people a starting point. Again, we've already had a couple of the folks from both sides. I told Billy when we did this, she's like, oh, everybody's going to love it. I go, well, not everybody. There'll be people on both ends that are upset. I said, there'll be people on one end that will say species like Acanthoscuria, Janiculata, and and El Parahibana should not be on the list because they're too advanced for people just getting into the hobby. And I said, you watch. On the other end, there'll be
be people going, I started with an OBT. These, there's no point in these beginner lists. Everybody can start with any spider they want as long as they do the research. And lo and behold, we've gotten our first batch of comments in on both ends. And again, I see both perspectives of it. The problem is those people don't seem to see other people's perspectives, which is the fact that many people are not ready to jump in with an old world. I People that do it, God bless you. I got into it early, but it drives me absolutely nuts when they just assume everybody else on the planet is going to be able to do the same thing, and it's just not the case. The vast majority of people just getting into the hobby are still kind of intimidated by the idea of keeping a giant spider, and they want to start with one of the more docile species. And then conversely, some of the people that, you know, the Acanthoscuria geniculata in particular was one I didn't have on either of my first two attempts at this list that I did several years back. And that's because of the fact that they can be overwhelming. Their, their feeding responses are excellent, and some people take it for aggression. The hairs can be nasty. So I've, I get that for some people, they think that's a great species. I, a lot of people that still haven't kept them are like, I'm still intimidated by these. I'm, I'm still working with like Brocky Pelma and Grandma Stola and, you know, uh, Fauna Pelmas. So I get the other side of it too, where people will sometimes, you know, say, some people will say they're too easy. And those are the people that jumped right in the old worlds. And some of the people that really are still going through the beginner species and still find some of these intimidating will look at some like the LP and Acanthoscuria and go, those shouldn't be on the list because they're too hard. So it goes both ways. And I do get that. I just always implore people to keep an open mind. I did have one guy who's like, I can't can't believe that LP is not a bigger tarantula. Well, eh, yes and no. Like I, it's one of the I always had it on the end of my list, and I think it came up kind of like number ten or something on this one, which is I think appropriate for most people. They're not bad at all. This individual seemed to think their hairs were super deadly, and there's there's been a lot of discussion about you know different species and which hairs they have and how nasty they are. I will say LP is one of the few that I've gotten haired by and it had a lingering effect for a couple weeks. I don't know if I was just extra sensitive to him. I've talked to other people that aren't as bothered by him. And the individual, I said guy, I don't, it's individual guy, girl, said that, yeah, their hairs will blind you or can blind you. And I'm like, well, in theory, if you got any of these hairs in your eyes from any of these species, and you got an infection or something of that nature, you could, you know, the result, I guess, could be blindness. But it just so happened that when I got haired by my LP, I touched my eye and got some in my eye, and, and I can still see pretty well. So it did not blind me, but it, it sounded more like one of those urban legends, or sometimes people hear stuff from people and they assume it's true and they don't do the research. But are the hair, can the hairs be nasty? I can attest to the fact they're, they're uncomfortable. Um, would I trust a 10 or 12 year old kid with one? Probably not. I, I don't know. I guess it depends on the kid. Uh, I've had the opportunity to interact with some young keepers, you know, our next generation of tarantula keepers, and a couple I can think of, uh, California's critters, immediately comes to mind as one of the new keepers that knows exactly what they're doing. I mean, it's, but then again, I think of like the typical kid that has no idea what's going on. And I work with high school kids. I've worked with middle school kids. I have younger, you know, children of my own and have had younger children of my own. So I recognize what their limits are. Would I give them an LP? Probably not. But that's where parents should be obviously supervising this. And hopefully the parents are doing the research, but it doesn't always happen that way. So again, the lists are fun. I enjoyed this one. I'm thinking it will, it's going to have legs, which will be great. You know, everyone's, I told Billy, this is one of the first times in a long time that I sat down, put a video together, and knowing this time around that this one will probably have legs and probably get a decent amount of views. A lot of times I do, I you know, when I do videos, it's never about what's going to get a lot of views. I will do stuff that I know flat out, like Billy will be like, oh, this video is going to be great. This spider's beautiful. And I'll be like, nobody keeps them. Nobody's going to really care. We'll get like, you know, some views. Or if I do the podcast, well, it'll be one of the lower podcasts because not a lot of people keep them. And, and generally, I don't think a lot of people 
will look up videos and husbandry on or videos or podcasts for husbandry on species that they don't have any intention of keeping. It's like, I, I don't do it. I, I can honestly admit to that. I don't go out and just go, oh, look at this person's got, I don't know, name a spider. I, I haven't kept and don't plan to. I don't know which one that would be, but let me check out this video. It just doesn't happen. It's usually when they're researching. So sometimes it takes a while for them to find an audience because, you know, the species might become more popular down the road and people are looking for stuff and there's not a lot out there. But I never sit down and determine what I'm doing for a video or what I'm doing for a podcast by views or by listeners. It's it's this is something I want to do. This is what this is the species I want to talk about. And we go from there. This is one of the rare exceptions, though, where when I started putting it together and I had the idea, I'm like, all right, this is this is probably going to get some some views and I want to make sure I do it right. So it's out there. If you haven't seen it. You know, feel free to check it out. What I will probably do, and I, I'll ask people to chime in because I'm sure some a lot of people have already gone over and seen the video, but I think what I'd like to do is take the audio from it and run it as the podcast with like an opening and an ending. So it wouldn't just be the same exact, it would, well, the bulk of it would be the audio from the video, which is about a half hour long, but then I would bookend it with my own discussion and maybe talk about some of the ones that didn't make the list. So if you guys think that would be interesting, I think it would be great because I know there's some people from the podcast that won't go over and watch the video completely understandable. So this would be a good way to get the same impact of it without having to go over and do something you normally don't do. So we'll look to do something like that in the future. Uh, One more thing before I get into what is going to be the main body of this podcast which is I the interview I did with Animals at Home should be out very soon. I was kind of hoping it would be out today so I could you know talk about it a little bit in this podcast, but that should be up pretty soon. So when it's up, what I will do is share a link. And personally, Dylan does a great job. He's more into the reptiles and the fact that he had somebody in that's into arachnids or tarantulas is really cool and I think kind of a neat way to, I don't know, I saw it as a unique opportunity to be kind of an ambassador to the hobby. So hopefully I didn't ramble too much because anybody that listens to my podcast knows I can talk. And so I'm hoping that this turns into something where we attract some people over and I'd like him, I I think it would be cool for him to see what type of audience he can draw if he starts covering more of the tarantula topics because we're we're a big group and we're you know a group that will go out we're very i think overall the tarantula hobby incredibly supportive of one another especially for those folks making you know videos and podcasts or whatever at least you guys have been fantastic to me so i'd kind of like to see some of that go over so i am going to encourage people to listen to it it doesn't benefit me i kind of want to see him honestly i i want to see him see a bump in his numbers and realize this is a good you know untapped area that he could explore later in the future. I'd love to be on it again. I'm trying to get him to get a tarantula so we can get him on my show. But I do think a lot of this come to the hobby from keeping reptiles. I do think a lot of people that keep reptiles, they obviously know our hobbies there. We're in the periphery, but they don't necessarily explore it. And I will tell you that when I got my first couple tarantulas, I thought they were amazing, but that was pretty much it. I had a couple tarantulas. I didn't realize the vast amount of colors and personalities and types and species that were available. So I'm hoping this turns into something where we can recruit some people over from the reptile hobby and the snake hobby and the herp hobbies and and kind of get them into our little hobby here. So I'm looking forward to hopefully creating a relationship. He was fantastic to work with. I mean, his interviewing skills are fantastic. He's very articulate. It's just a bright guy that knows what he's talking about that goes out. And if you look at his podcast, he interviews a lot of different people, which is something I still want to do, just trying to find the quiet times to do it. So anyway, as soon as that's up, I will post it on Facebook so that people can go and check it out. And hopefully you guys do. 
So I have to share this little tidbit before we move on just because it's kind of funny. So every week I try to set one of these up and usually what happens is my neighbor has a big loud truck that he starts up and leaves idling in his driveway for a bit that's right behind me. So I usually have to pause when that goes on. Well, today we have a helicopter circling. I have no idea what's going on. I don't live in the city. I can hear it coming again. So I keep having to pause while a a huge helicopter goes around my house. So uh, it just it doesn't end over here as far as trying to find quality quiet time to do the podcast but I did I'm not mentioning this stuff but it's kind of funny because I'm sitting here in my living room staring out watching this thing in the distance start to circle back toward me and it's like causing stress it's like I can hear almost like the Jaws theme coming because like oh now I gotta pause it and wait for this one so anyway today the main focus of this one's gonna be Grandma Stola Pokerpies one of my favorite species and one that I will be doing one of my featured species videos on soon so I already have the script written out out. You guys get the unscript version where I kind of go off and talk about you know some of my experiences with it because I'm not just going to read the whole script on here. But again, it was kind of fun doing the beginner species video because I did get to spend some time with my four polker bees and get some footage of those. And I just love this species. I don't know what it is about it. And I've talked to people before that are kind of uh, polker bees aficionados, the types. It's like, you know, I just don't know what it is, but I just love these guys. And I was so glad when we did the beginner species that they did come up as high as they did because I was afraid they weren't going to get the love that I think they deserve. And I do think they're easily one of the top three best. I think they came in at number four or five, but that's close enough. We'll go with that. Top five works for me. And a species that when I first got them kind of caused me a bit of anxiety, a bit of stress, but since I've come to love them. And there are some observations I want to share that I found some people that have seen the exact same thing I have. I've spoken to other people that have not had this issue. So I do want to get it out there and again, open it up to people to talk about what their experiences are with them. So to kick this one off, I've had many people ask me where the common name uh, Chaco comes from, Chaco Golden Knee. Well, obviously the Golden Knee part is pretty self-explanatory because they have golden knees. However, the Chaco part is because they come from the Grand Chaco or Dry Chaco, which is a hot and semi-arid region spanning parts of Paraguay and Argentina. And this is where the G Poker Bees makes its home. And the thing to know about these guys is the temperatures they get there, we're talking about an average 60 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 12 to 29 degrees Celsius. And the climates actually alternate from rainy to dry, which I found incredibly interesting because my Poker Bees generally do not like the wet moisture at all. A lot of species where you see they have a rainy season and a dry season kind of do well in both. I've seen the Poker Bees, they like it dry. Even as slings, I would moisten and down corners of the substrate and they would always kind of go to the opposite corners they didn't really they didn't seem to cotton to the moisture very much now again i've talked to other people that have done the trick where you moisten the bottom layers and they'll burrow right to that so there you go that shows that there's difference you know between specimens to specimens but for slings for these guys they start if you buy them and you get the teeny tiny slings i will want updates on your growth rate because this is the one spot that i've I experienced one thing. I've talked to other people that have experienced this, but I've talked to other people that haven't seemed to have this issue. For me, with the G Pokerpies, just before we get started in the actual, you know, husbandry, the slings, the tiniest slings seem to take forever to reach the one inch mark. And I've actually found this with a lot of Phonopelma species and Brachypelma that people, a lot of people pick up like the three quarter inch to an inch size slings. And they say that, you know, they, oh yeah, they did no problem. They molted every few months and they put on some decent size and now I have a three inch spider. What I found is before they, we'll go with three quarters of an inch. Before they hit that three quarters of an inch mark, they grow like molasses in January. Like I, my first two poker peas I bought, and I've shared this story before, I got third inch, I think I'm from Jamie's tarantulas and I got, they were a third of an inch. And I put them in Jamie's enclosures, the little AMAC boxes are like four and five, I don't know, four by two by two or something around there, or four by three by three. 
And both of them basically ate a couple times, buried themselves, and then right around, it was like October, November, when the air got drier and the heat went on and it got colder, they both buried themselves. Now, I would drop prey items in. They wouldn't disappear. You know, I'd put pre-killed in. Nothing would disappear. They would not come out. I would keep part of the substrate, corner of the substrate moist. They didn't come back out again until like April. It, it might even have been closer to May. I mean, it was a while, and it didn't look like they had put on any size. At first, I had assumed they were in pre-malt, and then with most of my slings, you know, when you raise slings, especially the ones that grow a little quick, uh, more quickly, the pre-malt period tends to be like, you know, a couple weeks, three weeks, maybe a month. These guys were gone for quite some time. At one point, I actually just looked at the shelf, and I'm like, they're probably dead. Come springtime, if they don't pop back up, I'll have to dig them out. and probably going to find either nothing or a dead spider. And no, lo and behold, they pop back up, hungry as can be, hadn't put on any size, hadn't molted. It looked like they just fasted the whole winter. And I thought that was interesting. And I did have the same experience years later with higher temperatures in the room. Now, at this point, these guys were kept on a shelf that probably dipped down to 68 degrees in the wintertime, uh, you know, 72 when the heat kicked on during the day. So they, they had some lower temperatures in there. So that might... Uh, you can probably attribute the glacially slow growth rate to that. However, the next one I got, I got accidentally sent a sling. I ordered, I forget what I ordered, and I got sent a, a G Poker B sling, another one, third of an inch, a little teeny tiny one, maybe a quarter inch, I don't know. And again, Jamie's enclosure, but this time my temperatures didn't dip below 72 when they were usually a little bit higher. Same thing. It buried itself, albeit a little it spent a little less time buried this time around than the other two did. It, pot, it went down probably in around December and then came up around April or so, but again, took some time off and it didn't, like I couldn't tell. It didn't look like it grew to me. It didn't throw its molt out and then continued to eat again. So I have seen fasting from my guys. I just put that out there because I figure even if one person out of 10 has G-Pokerpies, slings and they start fasting, they can hear this and go, oh, okay, this is normal. And I've seen that with three. The other one I got was about an inch when I got it, or maybe three quarters of an inch. And I noticed that one was putting on size like nobody's business. Granted, I, it did turn out to be a male. So that could have had something to do with it. But this one did put on quite a bit of size quickly. And I've noticed with other species, you know, Brachypelma, again, Gramostola, uh, Fauna Pelma, that th when they hit that like th three quarter of an inch to one inch mark, they seem to start growing much more quickly. That's just been in my my observations. I have spoken. Other people have noticed the same thing about it. Other people are like, oh, I picked one up and within a year it was like three inches. And I, I don't know what the difference is there. It could just be, you know, genetics. Who knows? But that is something I want to mention right off the bat. These are guys that, again, I originally put them in those Jamie's enclosures. Were I to do it again, I would probably put them in smaller dram bottles. The Jamie's enclosures were a little little huge for them. And that was an issue trying to locate the spider. Sometimes I think that caused me some anxiety. Again, not bad. They're, I, I definitely, if you start off with a teeny tiny sling, I would go one of those little Amec boxes or a dram bottle or one of those, I think it's 5.5 ounce deli cups. I would start in there. A 16 ounce deli cup, it's going to be swimming in it. Again, not wrong. You can give them extra space. It's just there when you see what I mean, when you get one of the, you know, second in-star, third in-star slings. They are teeny tiny. They're very small. They blend in very well with your substrate. So I would start them in something along that size. I did keep a corner wet. And when they got a little bigger and I could fit one in, I did put a water dish in, but I didn't see a preference for them. They weren't gravitating toward the moist spots as some would. Even when I, in one case, one case I added the water, dribbled it, so it went down and, and soaked the bottom layers and it had a shallow burrow. It didn't seem to dig down all the way to the moist stuff. So just my observations as far as the moisture dependency or lack thereof is concerned. 
Now, as you've probably already assumed, there's no specific temperatures needed. Obviously, this is Tom's Big Spiders. We're not doing care guides where you have to keep them at exactly 82 degrees. No, my slings did well when it dropped 78. Even, I'm telling you, one of those winters, I think it dropped down to 67, which again could have been the cause of them fasting and their internal clocks probably registered the fact that, oh, it's wintertime, food's going to be scarce, time to go away for a little while. But they do well in lower temperatures. Just know this does seem to be a species that if kept in the lower range, you're just going to get slower growth. And I've spoken to a couple people that live in places where it's like in the 80s all the time, they do experience faster growth. Now, if starting with a sling in a three-quarter, around three-quarter inches to an inch, that I could you could easily drop in a 16-ounce deli cup. In fact, that's what mine ended up going into after they, you know, I got them out of the Jamie's enclosures. There was a point where they were putting on some size, so I moved them into the deli cups. Deli cups will work fine. And again, you can put the teeny tiny one in it. It's not going to hurt anything. It's just going to be a little more difficult to keep track of your little guys. And I do like to put in the cork bark and starter burrows, but this is a species that's known for being like a little bulldozer. They just constant, they're constantly moving substrate. The, the slings will burrow and then make a burrow. And I've had slings make a burrow. And then all of a sudden I see them out in the surface digging again and they make a burrow on the opposite side. They, they never seem to be, it kind of reminds me of dogs that when they're looking at a place to go to the bathroom and they just keep going around trying to find different places. It's like that with their burrows. I've seen them like, I, I have a burrow over here. The next day I've filled that burrow in. I've got a burrow over here. Now they never seem to be completely satisfied with it. So that's normal behavior. If you get one and it's digging. I know a lot of times we worry about our spiders settling in and we worry about them not being comfortable in their surroundings. And one of the ways we register that or identify that is when they're wandering because generally a wandering spider is not a very happy spider. In this case, this is just what they do. So I wouldn't be alarmed if your specimen does that. Now, as far as feeding, I was feeding mine pre-killed red runner nymphs or baby crickets. You could use cut up mealworms. Keep in mind when feeding teeny tiny slings, they can fill up rather quickly. So you drop in a you know a, a mealworm cut into two different segments. That's a huge meal for them. They might eat and not eat again after that. And that tends to panic a lot of people. So that's something to always consider that the size of the meal is also going to determine how quickly it goes in a pre-mole. If the spider sits down and takes a full 24 hours feeding off something, chances are that's going to be it. It's going to be filled out. So don't be surprised if you drop in a big meal, if it eats once and then buries itself for pre-mole. That's totally normal. Again, substrates, as far as substrates are concerned, again, it's my goat. You can use cocoa fiber for them. You can use peat moss for them. You can use topsoil for them. You can use three of them combined, two of them combined. It really doesn't matter. Use what you like. As it's not a moisture dependent species, I will say the cocoa fiber can be a little easier because if you want to just keep a wet corner, it absorbs the moisture very quickly. And then if you add too much water, it evaporates very quickly. So you get kind of the best of both worlds there. So I kept mine originally on cocoa fiber. Then when I moved them over to the 16 ounce deli cups, when they got a little size on them, I switched them up to topsoil. I will say they didn't do as much burrowing in the topsoil, but they were still moving substrate all around. Now, talking about growth rate, again, growth rate may vary due to a lot of factors, including feeding schedule, including your own natural climate. So for people, I've talked to people in parts of California that supposedly it's very hot and dry most of the year. They seem to get really fast growth rate here where I am in Connecticut, where the weather fluctuates. Obviously, we have seasons. We have colder winters where it's drier in the house. We have moisture, more humid summers. I can get a variable growth rate. Mine took a good... (laughs) 
it almost took, I think, close to three years for them to get to the one inch, one and a quarter inch mark. They grew that slowly. And again, that's starting at, I say a third of an inch. It might have been a quarter of an inch. They were very tiny slings to start off. So it took them quite a while. And that was with fasting for two winters. So again, we had out of that first three years, they didn't eat for probably close to a year of that. So something to keep in mind, if you pick up a teeny tiny sling, depending on where you live, it could be a while before you start seeing those golden knees that you're desperately waiting to see. So just a heads up on that. Now, a mention of what I mentioned water dishes earlier. This is a species that will notoriously fill its water dish with soil. I have a couple of those. My Formictopus love to do that as well. They just take their substrate and they shove it right in that water dish. So keep in mind, this is something that you're going to probably fight with as far as keeping that water dish full and clean. Just a heads up there. Now, juveniles. Juvenile is obviously a relative and often arbitrary term when discussing tarantula size. There's no, you can't, there's no common size for across the different species because it depends on the size of the species. It depends on the growth. There's a lot of factors that work into it. So I'd like to kind of identify when I start considering mine juveniles, but this may differ from other keepers. So feel free. I'm not going to, this isn't a point I'm going to argue. If somebody comes on and says, mine isn't a juvenile until it's two inches, good. Yours is a juvenile two inches. I'm totally okay with that. I don't care. But I usually think of it as you know, for the, the average size tarantulas, it's usually like the ones that are about five or six inches, seven inches or so. It's usually around that 1.5 to 2 inch mark or so. Or another good way to identify a juvenile is when they start showing some of their adult colors. So a lot of these guys, right about that point where you start seeing them go from the, you know, drab browns of slingdom to, you know, starting to pick up some of those reds for the brachypelma species or seeing some of the, the, the demarcations and colorations you're expecting to see on them, that's a good telltale sign. So for this one, for G. Pulcropies, we're going to talk about specimens that hit the one and a half to three inch mark or 3.8 to 7.6 centimeter mark. Again, it's a larger species. They're thought to get the seven, possibly eight inches. So it's a little larger than a normal one. So we'll kind of give it that area in there. So from this point on, we're talking about that being a juvenile size, you know, the start of juvenile size. Again, agree to disagree. I'm not going to argue the point because... It's kind of not one you can argue. There's no standard for it. But this this is what I go by when I talk about mine. So as far as juveniles are concerned, a really good enclosure I've found for juveniles and inexpensive and fairly attractive are the small critter keepers. I think they're a gallon to 3.79 liters or so. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them online. Like I think Pet Mountain has them. I think you can get them off of Amazon. They're convenient. I would not put a smaller specimen in because those ventilation slats that they have can permit escape from smaller specimens. So I usually start them in there around an inch and a half, two inches, but they hold a decent amount of substrate. So your guy or gal is going to probably want to continue to burrow. They offer a pretty good clear viewing area because the whole base of it is obviously that clear, nice crystal clear plastic, cheap. I mean, they work really well. Sterilite containers work great. Again, something around a gallon or so is usually fine. You know, it it depends. But again, being a terrestrial and possibly a species that would want to burrow, you want to look at something that offers more floor space and I think a little bit of depth. I wouldn't just drop a G. Polkropies in on a couple, you know, on an inch of substrate. I would give them room to burrow. I would also provide a cork bark hide. Obviously, the water dish, I don't put a lot of sphagnum moss in mine because I'm not trying to retain moisture. And as far as keeping them moist, I let them dry out during this point. I may overflow the water dish a little bit, but I've never seen one hovering over the water dish or trying to find more moisture. Generally, mine try to avoid it. Now, I find that my juveniles, even though they pro- they abandon their burrows, they will continue to dig. Again, these are the, you know, 
eight-legged versions of bulldozers in nature. So they'll continue to move substrate around. I've come in one day to found, find all the substrate from one side pushed all the way to the other side. And then the next day you'll come back and it's all pushed back to the other side. It's really kind of funny and an endearing trait. And a lot of people report this. So I've seen it with actually all of mine, I think, have done it to some point, although a couple of them have done it more than others. So it, while it happens, that bulldozing is actually a lot of fun to watch and very cute and endearing. So enjoy it while it lasts because mine have outgrown it once they hit around the three or four inch mark. So all of my specimens were good eaters at this size. They were great hunters. I had no issue with them. Early on, they were a little tentative around larger prey items. So they were little teeny tiny slings. I found it best to give them pre-killed. Once they hit around the inch mark or so, or three quarters of an inch an inch, I would give them appropriately sized small live prey, and they did okay with it. Once they get around inch and a half to two inches, they're stone cold killers. Now I was feeding mine B lateralis roaches, like medium to large, and at the juvenile size, and or medium to large crickets, depending on which end. You know, one point five. If my juvenile was an inch and a half, they'd get kind of on the smaller end, but once they hit around the three mark, it's, it's full adult roaches, and it'll take more than one at a time. So they're really good eaters, and again, it's usually around the one inch, 1.5 inch mark that I really started to see some more, some decent growth. I started seeing some more size, and again, you start seeing those lovely yellow knees that give them their common name that make them so striking. So again, it might take you a while to get to that point. And I, I never want to discourage people from picking things up. I want more people to get G poker bees. I just want people to be forewarned that you could end up with, you know, a spider. When I picked up mine, it was, I was looking at some of the beginner species and I thought they looked amazing. And I read about how they're going to be eight inch spiders. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And by the time they got their colors, I was already into old worlds, you know, knee deep, like really into, I had, I had a few old worlds when I first picked up mine, but I was like, I had stopped buying the beginner species for a while and just bought exclusively old worlds. I kind of shunned the new worlds for a bit. And that's how long it took them to grow. Like, and then by the time they hit like the three or four inch mark, I was back into new worlds again. So just know you're going to go through a lot in the hobby before you have that big, supposedly, I hear eight inches. Uh, I was looking up specimens that were eight inches. I want to see proof of that. I'm thinking seven, seven and a half is probably more normal. Please chime in if you have them. I'm not saying I don't believe it. This isn't a case like the LP where people talk about having, you know, 12 to 13 inch specimens. And I'm like, yeah, sure you do. This is one where I, I'm thinking they probably, I, I thought I knew somebody that had one that was eight inches that had showed me a picture of the molt next to the tape measure. But let me know if anybody has got the adults, what, how big yours are. I'm guessing seven is probably more normal, but I'm not ruling out the eight inches. So as far as adults they're stunning. They're absolutely stunning. And talking about temperament, the majority of people that have adults say that theirs are usually quite tractable. Again, temperament can vary from specimen to specimen. So don't just assume that if you get a adult, an adult G poker bees that you're going to stick your hand in there and it's just going to calmly crawl, crawl into your hand. And so again, I don't get into the handling debate. For those of you that plan on handling, this is a species that people handle and seem to have a good time with, but you always got to test the temperament. You have to do so safely. So your spider isn't at risk. If you handle and you're at risk, well, that's on you. But 
keep the spider from getting tossed off or dropped or whatever. But they're supposedly very, I will say mine, like I have a mature male who is one of the most chilled out and I, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to send him out the breed. I had one person that was interested and then it fell through and I kind of like the little guy. So we'll see how it goes. I, I feel responsible in getting more in the hobby, but I love this little dude, but he's so chill. And the other day he started to climb out and I kind of put my hand in the way and he just kind of gently pawed my hand, went back to his enclosure. I didn't hold him. I'm not into the handling thing, but probably could have. So really, I think this is why they end up on so many beginner species lists because A, they're just about bulletproof. And I mean, they're up there with, you know, legendary level as far as like OBTs and stuff for being spiders or G porteries that you just, people get them, they take terrible care of them, unfortunately, and they do just fine. They thrive. So they, between that, the availability, they're giving away as freebies a lot, although I haven't seen them as much as freebies, but they're usually, you can buy it like, a one-inch sling that's obviously a well-established sling for usually around 30 bucks, 40 bucks or so if you look, probably even cheaper. I'm sure people have better deals than that that they've gotten on them. But they're very cheap, very easy to get. Cool looking spiders. I mean, just really, I love the yellow. I can't speak enough about the yellow. There's not a lot of yellow out there on tarantulas and it just looks so nice. And, you know, tractable. That's a plus for people who get into the hobby or that, have, you know, enjoy handling or having hands-on contact with their spiders. That's a huge plus. So the adults I found, excellent eaters. Do not need moist substrate at all. Don't bother moistening it down. A water dish is fine. I've caught my male drinking a couple times. My females generally don't drink. They generally take all of their substrate and they put it in their water dishes because that's where they want their substrate. But as far as enclosures, there are a lot of options. I mean, if you're starting, I'm thinking... For the, the sake of this or this article or this podcast, we're going to talk about an adult being around the four-inch mark. That's usually the point where they're, they're decent size. They're showing all their adult colors. They're eating well. They're eating adult prey. You can drop them right into the adult enclosure. So something, I, I would say five to ten gallons with these guys. If they do get eight inches, you're going to want to give them some extra space. But remember, if you, you want more floor space than height. And if you use an enclosure that offers a lot of height, then you're going to want to make sure you put in an adequate amount of substrate. So if and when they do climb and explore and they fall, they don't hurt themselves. Now, I get a lot of people that ask, are the Exoterra nanos, the, the ones that are 12 by 12 by 12, the big cubes, are those good for a G polkapes, I wouldn't put one in it personally. Could you make it? Could you slant the substrate so it's high enough? And could one be in it? Yes. Could a smaller adult be in it? Yes. But I think for as far as it's forever home, if you get a seven inch spider, it's going to be a little beefy for that 12 by 12 dimension. I just think you want to give them a little more space in that. It doesn't, doesn't give them a lot of room for substrate. Unfortunately, the, the dams, the litter dams on those things are only about two and a half, three inches high, I think, not even. So there's not enough room for substrate. So I personally wouldn't use one of those, but I'm not going to sit in here and tell you it's wrong because I've seen setups where people have smaller specimens in it and their specimens are completely happy. It's just my theory would be they're eventually going to outgrow it. And that's kind of an enclosure I'm going to use for something, you know, last, this is going to be the last home you're going to have. So 10 gallon aquariums, again, not ideal. If you get a 10 gallon aquarium, you're going to put like seven inches of substrate in it, which is going to make it incredibly heavy. You don't want to use the wire mesh tops because they can get their toe claws caught in them. So those are off limits. So if you get an aquarium, be prepared to do some retrofitting to make it more appropriate, uh, a more appropriate home for your tarantula. Don't expect to go out to Petco, buy one of those mesh tops, buy a 10 gallon aquarium, stick your spider in it with a couple inches of substrate and have it be okay. That's not an okay setup. That's like a Petco setup, not Petco. Dark Den Petco as in the pet store. I realized before that I mentioned Petco and something and people immediately thought I was talking about Dark Den because that's his nickname. 
And I didn't think that people that aren't in the United States might not know that that's a huge – Petco is basically a huge chain store here that is known for – they sell tarantulas. They don't know anything about them, and they try to get people to buy a bunch of stuff. So whenever I reference that, for those of you that are overseas who aren't in the United States, that's a pet store. I just want to make that clear. I actually meant to cover that like I, I said a year ago, I think it happened. And some people came on and was like, no, no, not who I was talking about. So adults, again – this is one I'm looking right now, and I'm looking at a couple different enclosure styles. I have the Jamie's enclosures that are fantastic, but I think it might be a little on the small end once my guys put on some size. I'm looking at more of the Lorex plastics have ones that are about, I think, 16 by 8 by 8 or so. That might be a good size for them. They're clear. They're acrylic. I'm going to put some nice stuff in there. I don't think I would do plants with this species only because A, they like it dry and B, they tend to dig everything up. So I could picture planting something in there and finding the thing completely uprooted and at the opposite end of the enclosure the next day, torn to pieces. So not one I'm going to do a bioactive with, but I do want to get these guys into some beautiful enclosures. They're just a, an awesome showcase spider. They're beautiful. They're out in the open at all times. The digging is endearing. Just an awesome spider. So as far as feeding, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned feeding with the adults yet, but you're talking large crickets. I feed mine two, three, four at a time. They gobble them up and make the cricket burritos with the webbing on them. Good eaters. I don't, I haven't had any problems with my adults fasting. Generally, my adults or my young adults, even juveniles, once they hit that size, it seems to be if they, they're not eating, it's not a fast. It's because they're in pre-molt and they expect the molt coming soon. So, and their colors right after the molt, once they harden up, are just it's fantastic. So make sure you get your camera out after a molt to get some pictures of them because they really are pretty and underrated spiders. Now, I always forget to mention this part when going through the New World species, but there's always, people are always asking like, how bad's the bite? How bad's the bite? And the bite with these guys, they are a New World species, so the venom should not be that bad. You're talking about, you know, a bad bee or wasp sting. Now, again, it should be noted that bees or wasp stingers are not anywhere near the size of a fang of a tarantula. So, mechanical damage would be a thing. Like one of these were to latch on, it's going to hurt, especially if these things get up to eight inches long. It means their fangs are going to be pretty decent size, you know, three eighths or something. That's, that's no joke, but they normally, I have not, I have heard of some people that have psycho ones that strike. I actually putting up the beginner species videos and people came forward and said that theirs are definitely not tractable. They're not tame. They're a little nasty, but the majority, I think when you pull people overall, the majority find that theirs are very laid back. So as with all or most new worlds, they're not going to be as inclined to bite because their defense mechanism is urticating or irritating hairs that they have in their abdomens that they can kick away. And I will say I've never had a G. pulcropes. I don't think so. Let me just think about this for a second. I don't believe I've ever had one kick a hair at me. Not at all. And I've had ones I've actually startled the male. I startled one of the females a couple of weeks back when I was feeding them. And she just kind of moved away a little bit and sat down and hunkered down and, and tried to hide. I've never had one kick hair. So obviously, they are capable. There are going to be specimens that are going to be more kicky than others. And know that the urticating hairs, you do not want to get them in your nose. You do not want to get them on, in your eyes. If you get them on your hands, they're going to burn. And furthermore, if you're dealing with new world tarantulas and you're rooting around in their substrate for whatever reason with your bare hands or doing a cleaning, put on gloves because a lot of them spread hairs in their enclosure. You won't see them doing it. You might not notice it, but they're in there. And I've done this before where I've cleaned enclosures out and not put on gloves and got the dirt on my hands. Next thing I know it, an hour later, my hands are burning. So something to think about. Use caution when cleaning them. 
So as previously mentioned, due to its ease of care, availability, and calm disposition, the Gramostola Polker Bees is considered by many hobbyists to be an excellent beginner tarantula. And as most recently evidenced by the results of the poll I put out there or the, the call for people to vote for their top three species, this one I believe was number five, four or five. I think I wanted it desperately to be four, but it was five. And so new keepers that are aware of the slower growth rates and who have some patience will find a lot to love about this specimen. They're just really cool. And once those colors start showing up, and they become the little fuzzy brown with the, the little gold knees. They're just absolutely adorable. When they start bulldozing their enclosures, they're adorable. And females are thought to live 30 years or more. So this is a pet that you're going to have for quite some time. So again, it's a commitment. Don't think you're going to just pick one of these little slings up and a week later be showing your friends your giant golden kneed tarantula. It's going to be a while, but I'll tell you the wait is worth it. And I think that's one of the reasons why mine are some of my favorite species because I've had them from teeny tiny and got to grow them up to adult and young adults and it's very satisfying for me so I think some people sleep on them because they don't it's like ah boring grandma stoles you can find them anywhere and you can usually find them at least in the United States please chime in for folks in Canada and Philippines and overseas in Europe let me know like how available are they over there I believe they're pretty they're pretty widely available just about everywhere and they're awesome species so I hate that sometimes they get overlooked I hate sometimes people are like oh yep the boring grandma stole this because I really do love these guys and plan to feature them a lot more on my channel and stuff to try to get more people interested in them okay so that should about cover it for the care of the Chaco Golden Eagle. This is one of the ones I love using their common name. And that was when I first started doing a lot of research into tarantulas. I have certain ones that just their names are appealing to me. So, for example, the K. Brunapes. I don't know what it was about that, but I was like obsessed with the name. And then the Chaco Golden Eagle, the Chaco, I thought was just, I, I, I had this weird thing. The other one, the Maraca Cabocla, Cabocla, which is now the B Cabocla, the Bumba Cabocla. But I just liked saying it, and that was what originally got me researching them. So there, I'll admit to that little odd proclivity. But I'm sure I'm glad that I ended up picking up some because, again, they just they've become some of my favorites in my collection. I know I say that all the time and I always say that there's favorites and I am going to attempt to do a list of my absolute favorite species. Again, I've given it some thought or my absolute favorite spiders. It's just so tough because I just love all these guys, but I've consistently said G poker bees, especially for the beginner species, one of my all time favorites. So that'll cover it for that. And again, you guys get the more laid down version. I'm just kind of glancing at my script here, my notes. The fun part is in a moment, I get the sign off from this and I get to do the whole thing again, but reading my script. And I hate reading scripts. I, when I, I mentioned this before, when I teach, I, I don't like having scripts because it's more natural. But for these videos to flow the way they need to flow, I do need to be chained up and scripted as opposed to these where I'm unscripted and go on forever. So you guys get the more organic one. Next one's going to be the more stilted where I try to put, you know, the correct tones in and try to pretend like I'm, you know, I don't know, narrating something on the Discovery Channel or Nature Channel or Animal Planet or whatever. And then I play it back and I'm like, my God, I could never really do this because I sound like a doofus. So anyway, that's it for the G Poker Bees. Please, you know, feel free to comment and leave pictures of your G Poker Bees. I love seeing pictures of them. Uh, for those of you that have full-grown adults, please let me know what the sizes are. Again, we hear that eight batted around a bit. And I hear eight batted around a bit for a lot of species. But then when you talk to people, nobody's got one that's eight inches. So I'd love to hear what... 
you guys have seen with them and what sizes you've noticed, you know, whatever it may, if you've grown it from up from a baby, whether you just picked up an adult, what are you looking at as far as max size? Who's got a big adult out there? And I would love to see a picture of an eight inch one. I'd love to be able to put that, you know, I, I won't say myth. I just haven't seen a lot of evidence to back up that they can get that large. So please feel free to chime in and let me know what you got, how big they are and pictures, love pictures, little videos. Those work good. Throw them up there. Love to see those. So that will about do it for this episode. Hopefully next week what we'll be looking at is I'll be able to talk a little bit about that interview. Hopefully that podcast uh, with animals at home will be up and I'll be able to discuss that a little bit because I'm kind of excited about that. Also, I just received a package the other day from my buddy Danny Damon. You guys may remember way back I was promoting his album from he's in the band Prognosis, bass player, singer, Awesome guy, Tarantula Keeper, can't say enough good things about him. Well, he came out with a card set for Tarantulas, which is just one of the coolest things I've seen. He asked me about it several months back, asked me if I'd help him do, you know, look over some of the research and and give him some pictures to use for it. And just one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Now, I'm a collector at heart, and I think a lot of people that collect tarantulas are obviously collectors at heart, and these cards are just awesome. And so I told him, I was like, let me, you know, send me some. I'll go through, I'll do a video, and I'll talk about them. And it's going to be an easy thing for me to talk about promote because I'm just enamored with them. They're just such a cool idea. And so we'll talk a little bit about them. I'll be doing a video on it as well. So unfortunately, this is one of these things that's going to lend itself a little more toward the video because you'll get to see what they look like. But he's got a website up. He's going to be doing a Kickstarter for it. So I'll have information on that as well for people who want to get in on this because I just think it's a really cool idea. It's basically, you know, picture trading cards, for lack of a better term, or collectible cards with pictures of the tarantula species and some husbandry notes on it, which is really cool. So that'll be next week, and then we'll see what else. I have a couple ideas I'm batting around for next week's one. I have a controversial one. I'm not sure if I'm ready to. When I do the controversial ones, I like to be really loaded for bear and ready to go on them, and I'm not sure I'll be ready by them, and a couple more fun ones. So we'll figure the whole meat of it out, but those will be two things we'll be discussing. So anyway, as always, thanks so much for listening. I'm not going to go pimp the other stuff right now. That's getting old. You guys know what I got now, the website and the Tom's Big Spiders YouTube. So go away from that. And you guys just have a fantastic work week because I guess this will probably be out on Sunday evening. So hopefully you guys all have a great Monday and we'll catch you all next time.